Hello, and welcome to Barks Remarks, the podcast where we talk about the stories from the legendary Carl Barks, creator of Scrooge McDuck and writer and artist of the greatest Donald and Scrooge comics of all time. This episode is a 10-page podcast all about one of his short stories. Get ready to enjoy our remarks. Welcome back to Barks Remarks. I'm Mark Severino, a grown man who enjoys duck comics, and I'm delighted to have a returning guest who um, is going to join me to talk about an all-time great Carl Barks 10-pager. So John Lustig, I am so happy to have you back on as a guest. Well, I'm happy to be here. So we're happy together. (laughs) That's right. So you got to join me to talk about um, Karl Barks' very personal omelet, which I think most fans will will put, many fans would put in their top 10 of his 10-page stories of all time. And today we've got another one that is one of those fan favorites that everyone seems to remember, probably mostly because of its its central conceit. It's got a very like sticky concept. Um, <laughs> we've been talking about the story as flipism, but of course its its technical name is a flip decision. Its technical name is a flip decision because uh, somebody at uh, Gladstone decided, you know, to label it that. Probably right. Matt Erickson, uh, which is uh, my old editor. But, you know, when Carl was doing these, he didn't put titles on these. So it's always going to be the flipism story to me. I agree. I think I think a lot of your our, our contemporaries, it's it's <laughs> just going to be flipism. It's the the coin flip story. But so you mentioned your your old editor, Byron Erickson. Yes. Um, I, I've got to introduce you because you are very notable in, in the Disney comics world. Um, you've written a number of stories and uh, and you are not currently involved in the comics, but you've got your own ongoing web comic. What do you call yourself actually, right? Because you, you have a very special, like almost hybrid comic project called Last Kiss. How do, how do you describe it? Well, it's basically taking old comics and redialoguing them. And I started out with romance comics and I still use mostly romance comics but I've branched out and doing other types of comics and sometimes photos and occasionally now even using some AI art but and and I'm, when I'm redialoguing I'm playing things for laughs I should say right. what I don't know is quite how to describe myself I'm certainly the writer most of the time although Tony Isabella is doing sort of a mini series within the last kiss series for me but i do all the lettering i swap out backgrounds i don't do the coloring if i can help it because uh, there are better people to do it and faster than me but i spend more of my time on the graphics side than i do actually writing so i i'm never comfortable calling myself an artist because i I can't draw, but I manipulate the hell out of the art. Excuse me for using a four-letter word. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I I think it's surprisingly cutting edge what you do, especially given how long you've been doing it. Um, Mm -hmm. Because as you said, you've been dabbling with some AI art. For, For people who don't know, Last Kiss is a lot of fun and listeners should definitely check it out. Um, you're using artists like, like Frank Frazetta is one of the old greats that you use. Yeah. And as you say, you, you re-dialogue it. Um, it's, 
it's almost always very saucy a little bit. Um, it's, 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 it's very risque, but never quite like R-rated. Now, I always try to, I've gotten a little more out there as I've gone along. I used to have one of the venues that appeared in was the Seattle Times for a year, if you can imagine that. And they quickly clamped down on me on what I could do. And I've been with Go Comics, uh, which is a huge online platform for com- mm-hmm. web comics and, and syndicated comics since uh, 2009. And they've been surprisingly good about letting me use uh, do things that I could not have done elsewhere. And uh, I'll also say gocomics.com, what is it, slash last kiss. And mm-hmm. my webcomic is last, my own site is lastkisscomics.com. Uh, if you go to lastkiss.com, you won't find it. So anyway, right. yeah, I, I try to, uh, for the most part, if a kid could understand it, most in most cases, a kid isn't going to understand what I'm talking about. I try to, but I have, I now felt free to use the word sex in the comic where I just stayed away from that. It was always making love for right. me. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of great innuendo. As I said, it's it's really funny. It's very tongue in cheek um, mm-hmm. and it's well worth checking out. I, I've really enjoyed following it. And and I I first knew you through your, your work for Disney Comics, of course. You um you've written a lot of really great stories that I that I've been reading for, for quite a long time. Um some great collaborations with uh, we were just talking about your colleague William Van Horn just had a birthday. Right. He just turned 84. Um on March 15th of yeah, this year. Yeah, that's that's great. You you wrote a lot of the, the DuckTales stories that he did back in the Gladstone era. I'm a big fan of those. Uh, a lot of great stuff. So Disney Comics okay. fans, you've got some great credibility uh, Thank for you. Disney <laughs> Comics fans. So just can we end the can we end the broadcast now? <laughs> sorry, I, I can't help but effuse. Um because okay. it, it really is a thrill to get to Thank to have have your heroes on you know um but we we are here of course to talk about that previously mentioned bark's all-time classic a flip decision or flipism and and so you know we're going to cover this story i'm a little bit looser with the 10 page podcasts than i am with the adventure length stories we're going to go through this and i'm really interested john in hearing your insights about the writing and the art and everything but but first, a little bit of background about this story. This one was first published in Walt Disney's Comics and Stories number 149 back in 1953. Uh, and of course, most Barks fans would agree that that's, you know, around his like golden age. He was just cranking out so many incredible 10-pagers and full-length stories one after another. Absolutely. This is only three issues after the uh, omelet story, which which are both gold, you know? Yeah, it really is an incredible run. If you listeners, if you just kind of take a look at the Wikipedia entry that lists his stories and look around like 51 through 53, it is it is such an incredible run. You know, I want to say I was talking to a friend who's like a big Barks fan and I was mentioning this story that we were going to talk about it, and he didn't know it. And I think a lot of Duck fans are more familiar with 
the adventure stories. I love the adventure stories, but what I really love even more in many ways are the 10 pagers. They're, they're, the plotting is so tight. You have to be so tight on these things. Carl always left lots of room for gags, but um, there is an art to doing those. And not very many people have been able to do sh- short, funny uh, duck stories. Yeah, it's it's a great point to make. And and I've this has been an education because um, getting to know people who are involved with the comics, what you're saying is a like through line. This is what I hear from a, a lot of the creative people that, of course, <laughs> they enjoy the adventure stories, but it's the short 10 pagers that really animate so many of the people who are involved with the comics. That's great to hear. I, I, I've listened to a number of the podcasts, but I haven't listened to all of them. I haven't heard that. So, but yeah, it's it's really true from, I've just learned so much from them. Of course, I was writing mostly short, you know, 10 to 14 pagers myself. So um, I would right. gravitate to these anyway. Right, very naturally. Yeah, and it's it's for the, the reason that you mentioned, right? They have to be so tightly plotted um, with such a great fast-paced rhythm. And and this one is definitely no exception. You know, this is this is a great story. I, I was a little surprised, John, to see that it doesn't have as many reprintings as a lot of his most famous 10 pagers. Um, we always check in, you know, in the index, I see that this one's only been printed seven times, counting different oh. reprints and various collections and stuff. You, which you know, I'm I'm kind of surprised by that, but at the same time, I can sort of understand. It's, as you said, it's the concept of flipism that makes this story so unique and, and interesting. But uh, I've read this story many times, and I still don't know, in the context of the story, is flipism real or not? You know, I've got some theory, a wacky theory about it. I'll float towards the end of the podcast when we get through reading it. But it's kind of a confusing concept. I mean, it's such a simple concept, which I wish I'd use in my own life, Uh, (laughs) but it's confusing, particularly when you get to the very end. Right. I I have to say, it is a brilliant concept, right? The story... The story really um, gets by on the strength of the concept. And and I do think it's a great story. I think what you said there is a great way to set the story up, right? That gives us a little kind of payoff Mm. um, at the end of the story to talk about, right? Do we think that this is the story presenting this as something that's real or not? Um, (laughs) So so we we can think about that as we go in. I was just saying too, I think this is a super strong story. It might be partially because of the strength of this concept though right because it is so memorable yeah yeah the the central part of the story i mean the when you get past the beginning and before the end it's not the most gag driven you know wacky part of the story uh by so i think that kind of maybe slows it down a little i mean it it's not as wacky as as it could be maybe and maybe that's one reason it's not reprinted too. But I th- I still think it might just be that the story confuses people. I don't know. Right. Well, it's definitely a popular one. I think part of the reason that this story it just is so sticky. The, a coin flip is such a relatable thing. 
right? right. It's something that people identify with in sporting matches, um, statistics. There's a lot of famous right. statistics questions where people will examine stuff like coin tosses. I won't go too into the weeds in that, but it, but it's worth mentioning. Yeah. So, yeah. so John, let's do this. Let's launch into this 10 pager and and right away, this one has one of Bark's just characteristically strong and engaging introductions, right? Um, <laughs> we've got a splash panel, a mini, a, a, a small splash panel where Donald is walking by what, what can only be a classic charlatan's tent, right? It's the old, you know, the, the, the church revival has come to down or, or someone is selling something, but we've got, we've got a tent that is advertising the flippists. It's, it is promising a lecture, a free lecture from professor Batty who will let you learn how to live by joining the flippists. And uh, we see a word balloon coming out asking, why worry? Let flipism solve your problems. And the whole start of the story is basically premised on Donald's curiosity as he walks by this tent, wondering very placidly, what's flipism? You know, I think the fact that Carl could have staged this very easily with Professor Batty on a soapbox in the park, you know, and so forth. But it wouldn't have been as mysterious and having that almost carnival barker, you know, and, and Donald wants to know what's going on. And so he has to actually enter that world. He has to go into the tent. And I think it's better this way. Yeah, it's it's great. He, he really is serving as an avatar for the reader. We're curious just like Donald is. So, so he's going to go into this tent and he, we meet Professor Batty and he only has a few panels, but, but John, he is so memorable to me. <laughs> um, you and I were chatting. I, I told you that to me, he reminds me of a William Van Horn bit character. Yeah, I, I can see that. Uh, I hadn't thought of it that way. And and you had said that this is perhaps the most William Van Horn-like story, not not that Carl was cap, uh, copying Quill. Right. <laughs> Obviously. Obviously. But, but uh, something that would inspire Bill. Yeah, he, he's got that wacky uh, sense to him. Uh, I think, uh, I, I know you're going to describe the next panel, but I, I want to say Professor Batty, look is he's got this wild hair very long which would have been disreputable at at this point in time right uh, in the 1950s but it i i kind of wonder if it wasn't inspired by albert einstein's hair you know yeah, no, I, I think these are great points. You're right. Everything about him is just wild over the top. He's a classic carnival barker trying to sell Donald um, on, on his philosophy. It's, it's very flowery. He says at every crossroad of life to let flippism chart your course. And the funny thing here, the funny through line of this page is that Donald just, he's only curious. He, he was not looking to buy anything. He just keeps asking, what's flippism? Um, yeah, and, and panels uh, one through three, Donald keeps thinking, what's flippism? It becomes almost a Greek chorus. Yes. And the reader is thinking the same thing. What is flippism? You know, it, it makes you curious. Uh, uh, I will say on that second panel, for those of you not following along with a copy of the story, Professor Batty is lower half is leaning forward. <laughs> 
and his back half as with his arms uh, or his top half with his uh, has his arms out. That is an impossible angle for unless you're double jointed. It, it's a chiropractor's nightmare, but it just makes it bigger than life in a yeah. way. Yeah, it is so over the top. Every every pose of his as he gives Donald the hard sell is very funny and very animated. I noticed too that the other people that are in the tent, they are clearly like um, bums and reprobates that right. are trying to get out of the get out of the weather, basically. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> um, and so they all, they all look like they're about to go to sleep too. Right. Barks is so funny when he is is depicting characters giving someone the hard sell. Um, um, he does this a lot, uh, and it's just something that clearly amused him. So we we get the first taste of flipism when Professor Batty, as he's giving him the hard sell uh, that Donald should you know spend a buck to get his book and a lifetime membership in the Great Society of Flippists, <laughs> he says this is a problem to solve by flipism. Heads you do tails you don't and and of course it comes down heads and uh <laughs> and donald owes professor batty a buck and that's the last we're going to see of him until the until the book end of the story what i would like to know does professor blotty really believe in flipism enough to, to uh, stake his sale on the flip of a coin or is it a double-sided coin you know double right uh, I do want to mention that you were talking about the amusing poses for Batty, but in the fourth panel, he's actually he's on a stage and he actually gets down. He kneels on the stage. He reaches out, down, grabs Donald by the by the shirt, pulls him forward a little bit, and literally shoves the book in that he's holding that he's trying to sell. In do- up to, against Donald's beak. That is a hard sell. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it reminds me of like some of the times that Scrooge and Donald have argued over Scrooge's desk. Um, okay. It's very animated. Yeah. So the next page is, is basically the sequence that's going to make a believer of Donald, right? He um he starts to read the book. I like I like that he's this is one of those moments where he gets so engrossed in a book that he's reading it while he's walking. I think most lifelong readers can kind of associate um, can relate to that. And uh, yeah. he he reads a funny quote. Do you want to read the quote for us? Um, in, in the fourth panel there, John. Sure, and that's an important one. Uh, he's reading from the book. And goes, quote, life is but a gamble. Let flipism chart your ramble, unquote. And I want to say two things about that. Yeah. Uh, one, this is the first, you'll, Donald will be spouting rhyme throughout a good part of this story. Mm-hmm. And this is the first instance, and it's coming straight from the book. The other thing is that he's reading, and he goes, quote, and then at the end he goes, unquote which is something you would say if you're relating a quote to somebody, but he's reading this to himself. Nobody in the history of world has ever gone quote unquote to themselves while they're reading silently. But right. that quote unquote will show up periodically in the story. It becomes a, a bit of a gag, right? You know, running gag. So Right. It's it's like a, a verbal repeated element. And and you're you're more of a writer. So you you probably know the kind of the importance of having that kind of a repeated element. It really captures a reader's attention. Yeah. Anytime you can re- and 
Carl does this so well in this. Anytime you can take an element that may not seem that important and then you can repeat it in different ways throughout the story, it really gives the story a richer feel and uh, a little more buy-in for, for the readers. Exactly. So as Donald gets home, he's he's basically sold, right? This is one of those books where, where Donald becomes a, a convert to something immediately to great comic effect. And he stumbles in the, on the nephews having a very convenient, they're going to lead to what's a convenient argument, right? They want to see a movie in theaters with a very Barks uh, title called Gore in the Gully. Um, <laughs> and, and Donald is advocating very, very floridly saying, forsooth, on a day so fair, we should take a drive and get some air. And again, as you say, he's kind of been infected with this like poetic. Exactly. He, this is one of the many instances where Donald goes a little berserk. Uh, I mean, he, he, he gets something into his head and it just takes him over. Right. And now he's spouting poetry on his, or rhyme at least, on his own. Correct. And he keeps doing that. And I'll, I'll have more to say about that later. Yeah, but, absolutely. But the, but the rhyming is very, very important from my perspective. In this I story. agree, yeah, to the to the shape and the comedy of the story. And, and this is what I think we Disney Comics fans really like about Donald. We like to see him just, just go all into something. Um, yeah, yeah. Day, Donald, more than Scrooge, is somebody you can relate to in so many ways because i don't know about you but i go off on these toots on you know i get some a bee in my bonnet and right. go off and do things and, and so forth i i did want to say something about this page uh the first five panels donald is he's not reading the book in the first one he's looking at the um the metal or the whatever the button he gets from uh right joining flipism and and which is a great thing in itself the idea that you get a button for joining flipism like it's a real thing you know they're at the great society of flipism uh but what i was going to say is then that's three more panels of him walking outside and then with the book reading and then uh, one panel where he's still holding the book and he is inside the house but in each one carl is varied it's so much from from panel to panel, the look of it, that it is really hard to do multiple panels of somebody just walking and reading and thinking to themselves. It's trust me, it, it's hard to pull off. But he's got in one panel is a silhouette. So it breaks things up and the background varies greatly. And you can see him uh, walking up to the house and then you can see him inside the house with it it's just keeping that variety is is really important to point point that off yeah that's a great point right because the, because this is just expository it's just a it's right. just setting up the rules right. um of flipism and and you're right he just makes that so interesting so donald is is going to put flipism to the acid test right here he's going to flip a coin to decide whether they see the movie or take the drive um it's we get another uh fun little rhyme heads its movies tails its ride quote flipism will decide unquote because that's that's what he's going to do he he comes off as a little bit of a striver in this one i think yes <laughs> and 
And so the nephews are disgusted on the next page as, as it does come down tails. And so they hit the trails. Um, and we get a little moment where now Donald is going to explain flipism to the boys as they start their drive. Um, and a drive is a perfect opportunity to put this to the test, right? A, a meandering, aimless drive. The, the boys get in a very like typical um, kid argument over which direction they should go and uh and donald's gonna gonna solve this spat you know john i i really do feel compelled to read all of his little verse ones do you mind oh. reading us this one panel okay. four no i think we should read all the verse yeah. donald flips a coin they're trying to decide which way to go left or right he says heads it's this way tails it's that the toss of a coin will solve the spat unquote unquote of course this strikes me john as one of the bark stories that is probably the most fun to read aloud you know yeah. they, many of them many of them are suited to that i i recently covered land of the pygmy indians where, mm. where he wrote it he, yeah. he really pushed himself and wrote it in trochaic pentameter i think if i'm remembering it right he did the longfellow style hiawatha oh yeah um, you're right i forgot it that so just like that one this one really demands to be read out loud listeners so heads the little coin doth say we will travel this away and, and so barks advances the story pretty quickly by implying a number of other tosses and miles and the boys are commenting they have some great comments here oh, yeah. they say it'd take a double jointed snake to follow our tracks and and donald is kind of snarking on them um, that maybe this will lead us to adventure, riches, or even fame. But then they they dead end right into a mud hole with a with a. Do you want to mention that sight gag? Oh, it's just a uh, sign in in the mud hole, say saying keep your chin up so you just, can breathe. <laughs> it's just barks very casually, just um just being ridiculous at every point he can. The panel where they're off on the road is is a scenic is a little bit larger panel than most, uh, and it's scenic. They're up on a hill, and you can see the the uh, the roads below and uh but they're in silhouette and i have to look but i think carl did the same thing in uh omelet when they're oh, i think you're over. right and i think the reason for that besides the fact that he doesn't have to draw as much is so that you focus on the background there you know which is which is the focus really of of what we're we're supposed to look at I think you're right. And specifically, I think we're supposed to focus on on all the forks in the path. Yes. Right. That that yes. we've seen as opportunities for for right. flipism. So so there's nothing too remarkable about this next sequence. It's funny, but um Donald is is gonna flip that coin to decide whether they should advance and, and risk the mud or turn I, back. I, uh, I want to read the dialogue for when he does the coin toss here. Mm -hmm. This whole matter is easily solved heads we go ahead tails we go back okay so this is the first time he's invoked flipism and he hasn't rhymed and i have a theory about flipism and this is an important point because this is where things really start to go wrong so i'll talk about that later okay yeah yeah that's intriguing color me intrigued um <laughs> 
So we get a, a funny little encounter as he turns around once the once it comes up tails. He runs into a man on a tractor towing a house, you know, um, blocking the whole road. And then Donald very placidly says that they should flip a coin to see who should turn back. But but the house mover, <laughs> this is one of those moments. This is funny because the guy's clearly being a jerk, but he well, also, he's obviously not, I don't think he could have reversed if he wanted to, right? Towing right. a house. So it's meant to be a funny interaction. It's meant to show Donald and the nephews at, at a disadvantage, having to push their car through the mud as the man, as, as he just pushes them backwards through the mud. And it's kind of meant to discombobulate them a little because when they come out on the other side, this is the moment where Donald, uh, his expression breaks a little bit. Um, they're lost and they don't know the way home. What a, what a quaint thing to not know, right, John? Yes, yes. Um, I have a couple things to say about this. Um, mm -hmm. Actually, I'm not sure. They're they may very well be on the other side. But when they get pushed into this mud hole, we don't know which side they actually come out on in a way but sure probably is the other side but oh uh, yeah because they they could have pushed their way out of out of wherever right and i i did want to say that uh when they he meet they meet this tractor and they're almost bumper to bumper to each other and the tractor's coming down hills which make would have made it even harder to back up right yeah yeah this is just one of those impossible situations right it, it would have been perfect for flipism, but if this had happened in real life, they almost certainly would have had some warning before they saw before the tractor meets them almost um, bumper to bumper. They would have heard the tractor certainly. They might have seen the tractor, but this is comic book logic where you don't see anything or hear anything outside the panel unless it serves the story and it served the story for you us not to know that because it makes it's much funnier for them to be bumper to bumper that's exactly yeah no that's that's a great point right because in the very first panel we were supposed to hear professor batty's voice emanating from that tent right because it was important information for the reader but here this tractor pulling a pulling a whole house has to like literally sneak up on the ducks and and we're so invested in this story that we totally buy it boy john look look at the tractor driver's face in panel four on that page that face that reaction to donald's suggestion that they flip the coin cracks me up yeah and once again he flips a coin and he doesn't do any rhyme that's right that's right therein lies the power all right so um this is where donald is really going to turn things over to flipism right because he he is we get a change in the story at this point right he's right. not just letting flipism make the um, decision about which way to meander he's like asking flipism a question he does try flipping a coin here uh, to try to find his their way home but again he doesn't rhyme but things really accelerate in terms of things going wrong from here from here on in right and, and this page brings us what what is probably the most famous panel i would <laughs> guess uh in in this story as you know, he starts to flip the coin to specifically to figure out what's the way home. Um, and as they come to a main highway, the nephews look on in horror and, <laughs> and in unison, they say, yes, but where does the highway go? And we get this like 
great panel of a highway interchange. This is like, this is fascinating, right? Because the, the, the highway system was not very old at all at, at, at the oh, time good. of this. Right. So I, I feel like there's some some almost grappling with like the monstrosity that the U.S. highway system. This this almost reads as commentary to me, but this is also like really identifiable. Right. I think any of us that have driven near a major American city have come to something like this and just been so overwhelmed at all of the forks. Well, if if you drive somewhere and you're not familiar with with the setup, uh, it gets very confusing, but doubly so. And Carl was, I believe, yes, he was still living in California at the time. I don't know how bad things were back in the 1950s, but this is so indicative of driving in California now. There's nothing, nowhere I, I hate driving more than our California freeway. It it's, can get very confusing. Yeah. You <laughs> yeah. and me both, you know, yeah. as, as someone who grew up in, in the Bay Area and learned to drive oh, okay. um, in, in the Bay Area, it, it it's reminiscent. It's nothing quite like the Southern California where I've driven a lot too, but yeah. yeah. You know, you know what the art here kind of reminds me of, John? This this feels just a little bit uh, Dr. Seussian to me. Hmm, I can see that. I hadn't thought of it that way, but uh, it's very florid and, you know, I mean, it yeah. it just goes off in different directions. Um, yeah, just a comment. I don't have any, no, no, any no. like, real insight to it. Just... No, no. It's, it's uh, labeled a seven-route interchange. Obey rules. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I was trying to see if uh, these little signs had rules on them. I don't see any. But actually, there are signs later on, like the next page or two, and they're all very confusing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Everything is going to be really confusing. So we come now to this is basically a highway sequence where Donald is just going with the flow. They're looking for signs saying Duckburg. He, he's just stuck. He's having this like uh, lost in traffic. It's very stressful. Um, there's not too much to say here. Well, I was just going to say a couple of the signs are funny. There's they are. One says, is pointing one way and it says, for right, turn left, go left. <laughs> for left, go right. Uh, I think some of the dialogue is pretty funny, but... Um, right, like, don't ask me, I'm only driving the car. Right, right, right. It's a very it's, dense couple of pages. It is. And um, Donald flips the coin again, and once again, you know, which direction they should go. And once again, he doesn't rhyme and comes down tail uh, heads. And I, I guess I'll go ahead and describe this. Um, yeah. They're going the wrong way on a one-way street, and the car runs into a truck, and uh, there's a big crash, and the ducks literally go flying as sort of an echo from the, it came down heads from the previous panel. Uh, one of the nephews says, I hope we come down tails. Yeah. Which is a great line. It really is. And it, it was almost a requirement to have in this story, I feel like. He <laughs> he, he he fulfilled it. I'd, I'd comment, too, that uh, the, you know, the cars were, of course, contemporary at the time, but they just read as, like, really neatly drawn classic cars now. There's some pretty cool-looking vehicles. He doesn't usually, apart from in old California, I, don't, I can't think of a time where he's drawn so many cars. 
Mm. All right. So we're going to transition on the next page to the to the ducks reaching Duckburg okay in a police car, the narrator box informs us. Um, and we get an encounter with Bark's uh, old friend, the owl. I, I love seeing the the owl judge. He He's one of those recurring characters. It must be a different character every time, technically, because we encounter him in a lot of different places. But, mm-hmm. um, but, but he's very funny. He usually has some kind of posting on his dais. Uh, and, and this is no exception. Do you want to read read this little background yeah. gag? Yes. Uh, you haven't a chance. The city is broke and the judge wants a raise. That 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 genuinely cracks me up. I love every time I see read that. And, and we get this encounter where Donald is coming hat in hand and he's trying to explain himself to the judge. And he, he identifies himself because we said Donald is just he is all in on the philosophy. He identifies himself as a flippist who had tossed a dime to see which way he'd go. And we get one of these great reversals, right? Do you want to describe the reaction for us? The sure. judge goes to uh, Donald's remark that he's a flippist, and they decided by a flip of coin, he said, you did? Well, that makes these charges against you seem rather silly. I'm not going to find you the usual $5 for wrong way driving, nor the usual $10 for disrupting traffic. And you can see what's going to happen. <laughs> but Donald buys this and is, goes, thanks, judge. And then the judge points his finger and he's very angry. He says, but I am going to find you $50 for letting a dime do your thinking for you. And I, I love this, that the judge is making a new law up, uh, you know, right at the top. Right. Oh, it's great. Off the top of his, his bench. Yeah. Uh, nope. And you can see him like um, tenting or, or, or uh, clutching his fingers together as, as Donald is like thinking he's going to cut him a break. Um, I love the little plop, the off panel. I had something to say about that. <laughs> you know, because this is a comic book, well, uh, it's more comic strip, but you see it sometimes in comic books. It's a staple of the a character getting surprised and them literally getting knocked off their feet. And right. you know that without even seeing it, that that's what's happened. The, uh, this is such a a staple in comics that over at, I'm going to mention a, a, a website, uh, Hogan's Alley uh, magazine has a Facebook page, uh, group favorite, and the editor of the magazine, Tom Hinches, uh, actually runs a panel every Friday of characters flopping like this, and he calls it the fr- the Friday flop. That's how common it is. Yeah, that's great. It is. This this pratfall is, is such a convention that Barks doesn't even need to show it. It's almost funnier um, because it's such an old saw just hearing, quote, reading the plot. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So so Donald is, th- this is enough to break the fever, right? He is now out of the flippists um, because it's brought him nothing but misery. And instead of going home, we see uh, the classic Donald angrily determined telling the nephews that he's going to see a man about a book. And, th- and there's mayhem in his eyes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he He's on his way to exact his vengeance or at least his $10. Uh, but but of course, when you encounter a charlatan in a tent, uh, when you go to get your money back, 
that tent is not going to be there. So he finds nothing but a vacant lot. You said ten dollars. It's actually one dollar. And you're I, right. That's that's how much things have changed. But I when I spoke to Carl years ago, he uh, he was obviously years ago. He had some kind of theory about like how much inflation would be every ten years or something. And I don't remember what his his uh, formula for it uh-huh. was. But it was, it was just interesting to, to see him sp- say that, you know. Right, but, yeah. But, but it's true that, you know, we're in an inflationary period right now, unfortunately. Unfortunately, so. yes. Um, and you're right. I, I had done the math as I read this because the rule of hand for, for Bark's era is that inflation being what it is, it's about 11 or 12 times um, yeah. is, is yeah. your rough calculation. So, yeah, it was a buck. Isn't it funny, too, what the importance the importance Importance that Barks always attaches to coins in these stories, yeah, especially much- dimes. Well, Carl had uh, a tough life. I mean, he worked really hard to make any money. And even though he ended up a millionaire because of the bark, you know, the paintings he did, he had to, he was just working all the time to to make a living. I talked to. I went to Carl's funeral and I talked to his grandson and he said, no, he said he just didn't see Carl that much because Carl was always working. Yeah, you can you can tell it from his writings. He was just compelled to always stay busy. I I think it must have been what kept him so sharp from what I understand. Yeah. He was very sharp. Um, yeah, it's just interesting to me that a dime is so important in this story. A dime will save, you know, Scrooge so many times. But but at this point, he's going to make the dime work for him because the nephews are going to joke. Um, they're razzing him a little. They're saying, why go to so much trouble? You could find this professor much easier by flippism. And, and he chases them off initially, but then he kind of has that moment. Hey, why not try flipping? And and Donald is thinking, I think there's it's poetic justice, right? Mm-hmm. He he's like thinking, if there's any justice in the world, um, the dime will lead me to him. And so he starts to use his dime to try and track Professor Batty, <laughs> using it to, to decide whether to go down Dizzy Street or Coma Way. Um, and the nephews just kind of like chide themselves for starting him up again. So I think you have uh, you have thoughts about this part. Huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just a little bit. But that panel where Donald, after they've razzing him and he, he starts chasing them, and it's all silhouette. And that's the way Carl would end some of his so many of his 10 pagers, but here is just a setup for what's coming later. And I just wanted to say that I love the name Dizzy Street and Coma Way. Right. I think I have unconsciously lived on Dizzy Street, all metaphorically on <laughs> Dizzy Street all my life. But I'd love to be have a city that had Dizzy Street and Coma Way. Oh yeah, wouldn't that be great to be a city planner and get to uh, get to throw in something like that? Uh, th- this episode makes me think I need a um, to have a flippist society button made up. Oh yeah, that would be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what what you said here is an interesting point too this could be the ending of so many bark stories mm-hmm. but he, he's giving us like a, what's almost an epilogue here right and he he eventually i feel like he flashes forward a bit he comes to a dead end and he's got a choice between two different houses here um, and just want to interject here this would not 
work unless he came to a dead end. Right. Because, you know, otherwise he'd just keep going. And and there's apparently just two houses on this dead end. So it's got to, as he says, it's got to be one of those houses. So. Right, right. And and so, and the nephews are kind of along for the ride. They're, they're looking pretty fed up, but um, but they're watching what's going on, which will be important for the ending. And, and so Donald goes into the house that the coin indicates, which of course, conveniently is a duplex with two possibilities. And crucially here, it's too dark in the hall for Donald to see his last coin flip. But he has said that heads, he's in apartment one, tails, he's in apartment two. And and Barks tags a little indicator to show the reader that it's come up tails. But because Donald can't see it, he decides to try apartment number one first. (laughs) And uh, do you want to tell us, John, about who ends up being in there? Well... Yes, only in a comic book story. It's Daisy. And I mean, what are the chances? And she's visiting her sister, I assume, um, because uh, on the next page, we see uh, April, her nieces, April, May and June. What are the chances that he would knock on a door and Daisy Duck would be there and it wasn't even her place? Right. Astronomical. But here it's 50-50. But he because he hasn't seen the coin, he's picked wrong door. Yeah. So so this is a pretty funny out. So so Daisy is really is just about as surprised that he's showed up she's gonna launch into kind of a classic and and a little bit old school battle axe harangue (laughs) right it 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 looks very funny her beak is gonna vibrate a mile a minute um it's it's undoubtedly it's it's pretty retrograde but it's it's certainly in keeping with the kind of humor that that would be depicted uh, in, throughout the 50s she is ranting that he promised to take her to the movies today and she sat at home uh waiting and and she just launches into these insults you welcher two-timer you absent-minded and then barks literally writes out blah blah etc and ad infinitum ad infinitum um it's it's a very funny panel yes and he's forgotten he was supposed to meet her Early. Right. Yes, that's right. why he's so angry. Right. Exactly. He, oh, he's for, oh, oh uh-huh. the next pa- the next panel is I I never really paid any attention to that, but uh, the caption is five minutes later, and she's still going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she she is giving him a really good harangue. So much so that he has literally forgotten what what he was there for, or or perhaps he knows that he's licked and. Right. And he can't, you know, he's clearly got a new agenda. So because she's been outraged, she, as you mentioned, she insists that her three little nieces have to join them to the movie. And and very conveniently, they are in the mood to see the new horror picture, Gore in the Gully. Surprises me, but yeah, <laughs> April or May and June. Yeah, it's an interesting little moment. These very cute little girls. Uh, I guess it's worth noting that as so many comments comic book artists have done they are just a gender swapped you know version of Huey Dewey and Louie it's 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 a classic trope but yeah these cute little girls want to see um this this grisly horror movie I guess I think I read somewhere that this is their first appearance yeah I was going to say that I I've heard that too and I I think I'm quite sure it is and they 
I think they look just a little different than they did later on. But um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm looking it up to verify here. And this is indeed her first, Daisy, Daisy's niece's first appearance. Um, so that's an interesting little side note for this story. They're not like the most significant of Barks's characters, but they they qualify as one of his creations. They they appeared in the recent DuckTales. They've they've had some animated um, appearances. So that's kind of fun. So, you know, the story has kind of come around full circle in that the nephews get to have their initial wish fulfilled. We get this kind of uncharacteristic the boys are usually of the you girls are icky mind, but but in this story, yeah. Barks he needs them to be excited to kind of escort the nieces, um, color coordinated fashion to the movies. Uh, and and John, why don't why don't you tell us the other way that the story has come full circle by telling us about the great last panel? Okay, um, so we cut to the inside of the other duplex. And Professor Batty is there. He's looking out the window and he's uh, he's got all his bags packed and he, he's, he's like, I, I better be packed and out of here when they get back. That There was mayhem in that duck's eyes if I ever saw it. And this is such a quick, strange and complete reversal of what you're expecting. Um, it, it throws it. I know it's coming every time, but it's still kind of a shock every time I read it because uh -huh. it makes you wonder is flipism real because <laughs> if if he'd just been able to see that the coin was what was it heads he'd have picked the right place and one of the things I I wonder about that is if if Donald had actually knocked on the door what would he have said to Professor Batty uh the professor goes how how did you find me well, I used flipism. Now I want my money back because flipism is real. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. It cracks me up. He uh, would have, it's it's a it's a, a little quandary there because um he wouldn't have if he had found him, he wouldn't have had the justification to get his money back. Well, you read the story, and in most of the story, you just assume flipism isn't real. And it certainly goes badly for Donald uh, uh, um, from the mud hole on. But, um, okay, so here's where I get, I come in with my theory. Um, first of all, I don't think Carl necessarily uh, intended this, uh, wasn't thinking of it, but it's just an interesting way for me to view the story. Okay, so when Donald first gets infatuated with the story, he starts to rhyme because he is so buzzed and he's kind of following the jargon from the flipism book. Right. But, he's, but once he stops rhyming, he's he starts falling out of the sort of flipism fe fever. And I think Donald is is a character who follows his passions very much. And it's almost like he wills wills things willed things into reality. But at the end, when the nephews tease him about flipism and he just says, if there's such a thing as justice, this little dime should lead me right to that fly by night. Con man. Well, he's back in the fever. the The whole thing of getting justice, of getting revenge, reanimates his feelings. And some strange way, I think it makes flip flipism works. 
The reality, of course, is Carl just came up with a really funny ending. But it's it's one way to kind of view the thing. And I will say this whole idea of uh, if there's any justice, well, Daisy gets justice. <laughs> uh, uh, the nephews. Nephews get justice the, plus dates. Um, right. And April and May and June get justice. And uh, maybe... No, Donald doesn't get justice. No way. <laughs> no, we don't ultimately want to see Donald get justice in, in most of these stories. Um, I, I think you just gave such a great summation of it. I don't think I have much to add because that was a that was a great pondering of the reality of, of Philippism. Thank you. Um, I love it. Really have anything else to say? Oh, I, I do have one more thing to say. Yeah. Uh, uh, you were talking about Daisy's harangue. When I went to a Egmont Northern Europe Disney licensee, I had a a conference for uh, Disney writers uh, years ago, and uh, it was just outside Barcelona, Spain. Free trip. Cool. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Um, And um, one of the subjects that came up during the conference, and this was the whole group, it wasn't just us talking individually, was uh, the subject of Daisy, angel or word that rhymes with witch. Because it is the Barksian world, and to some extent the, the duck world even now, is such a male-dominated world. And Daisy is... She's put at, at the extremes of either being the voice of reason and you know and gentleness and you know all this you know all this stuff and right. uh, or being a complete rhymes with which. And I just wanted to point that out that it was something that people thought about at least uh, maybe 15 years ago or 20 years ago when I went to this conference. So it is worth worth pondering. It's definitely something I think about. There there haven't been a ton of great like uh, female characters, you know, no. writ- written. She's she's mostly a foil. Every once in a while, she gets off some fun moments of characterization. I really like her in in winter. Um, uh, the, the first story with Gladstone. Lemonade. The lemonade. Yeah. You know what? That is probably my favorite. And I know you've already done it, so I couldn't claim it. But that is probably my favorite 10-pager. Oh, it's it's so funny. It's it's a riot. It is. Yeah. It's, it's just, it hits so many great notes. Yeah, it's, it's an awesome story. But, um, so I think, John, that this story it is, is well-remembered. And well thought of for a reason. And, and every time I go through one of these classic 10-pagers in this kind of like excruciating detail, I get more <laughs> of an appreciation for it. Because um, there are so many great moments and 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 bits of art and background gags and yeah. funny comments in this. What a riot. Yeah, and it's hard to go through the, uh, the long adventures in this kind of detail, too. Right. But, but yes, I... I I have a real fondness for the 10 pagers. Right. And and this one really holds us. This one is um, rated right now. If you look on index, okay. uh, this one has a very high, because it's one of my, the shticks of my, my sure. podcast is it, it gets a 7.7, which is good for a rank of 164. Oh. Um, out of all the Disney comic stories, and and what I did because because I'm 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 an obsessive about this is I <laughs> I plucked out the ten pagers and put them in in their own little ranking because mm-hmm. as you 
say it's not fair to people think of the adventure stories differently. So, yeah. so the way to get a feel for what the community thinks is to look at the ranking for these 10 pagers. And this one, as of when I looked at it, it had a rank of it was it was in the top 10 of all his 10 pagers. That's um, yeah. So it's a very well regarded classic 10 page story. Um, that's a great rank for anything on the index. Yeah. And I think there's a reason for it. You know, it's funny, John, if you Google uh, Wikipedia actually has a whole page devoted to the concept of flipism. They, they really? say, yeah, they say it flipism is a pseudo philosophy under which <laughs> <laughs> under which decisions are made by flipping a coin. It originally appeared in the Donald Duck comic Flip Decision by Carl Barks. And, and then they go on to talk about random number generation and um, the uses of this in, in philosophy and in game theory. And, and they make connections to like to characters like Two-Face from the old Batman comics and stuff. Um, some of it's a stretch, but some of this does seem to have been people inspired by Barks. You know, I wasn't totally kidding about my life would be better if I could just flip a coin. I, I, I sometimes flip a coin and it's like, well, two out of three, you know? Sure. <laughs> but I was thinking about this. Wouldn't it be great if, if there were some politicians who definitely should be flipping a coin because they'd be right more often, you know? I, I not disagree. Any par partisan politics, but um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there there may be something to flipism. It it is a lot of fun. There is so much that could be said about this classic. But but John, I I'm so grateful to you for sharing your time with me again. I hope that people will check you out. You've got your last kiss project. Check it out <laughs> on Go Comics and uh, and and check out some of uh, some of John's other classic back issues, backstories. Any any other projects to to talk about? No, I'm pretty much just doing uh, Last Kiss these days. Uh, Want to get some collections out there. Uh, believe it or not, there are no Last Kiss. Well, there are some ebooks, but um, anyway, no, I'm I'm pretty much just doing Last Kiss, you know. Um, but um, I, I appreciate you uh, mentioning that very much. Oh yeah, no, I've been I've been getting a huge kick out of that. Well. Well, thanks again. Uh, listeners can check out. We'll have more 10-page podcast episodes and, and our regular adventure-length ones. And um, let's see. Uh, you know what? At, at some point, we have to flip a coin to make some kind of a decision for this. <laughs> so let, I'm trying to think of a good way to go out. How about heads? I will wish everyone, uh, send everyone off and tails, I'll let you do it. And it's Tails. So, John Lustig. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us for Bark's Remarks. Uh, I personally uh, had a great time, and uh, thank you for inviting me, Mark. Oh. Thanks again. <laughs>